0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So there's a reason why you wouldn't watch this movie or read this book, Harry Potter and the Carefree Childhood. There's a reason why Luke Skywalker has Darth Vader, why Rocky Balboa has Clubber Lang, why Mr. Incredible has the Underminer, why Frodo Baggins has Sauron, why Simba has Scar, why even Winnie the Pooh has the blustery day. The reason why you wouldn't watch that movie or read that book, Harry Potter and the Carefree Childhood is quite simply this, you couldn't relate. It wouldn't connect with you on a deep, fundamental, human level. Let me explain it this way. There's more to you than meets the eye. There's more to me than meets the eye also. In other words, there's more that's innately human to you. There's more value to you than brains and brawn. More than what you can bench press. More than how you look in a bathing suit. More than what you would score on an IQ test. I think we all get there. There's more to us than meets the eye. And if that's true, it must also be true that there's more to this world than meets the eye. That we're living in this physical world. Our senses are attuned to this physical world. And yet there's more to life than this. There's a spiritual reality. and In fact, the Bible says we are surrounded right now by a great spiritual battle. I would suggest to you further that whether you walked in today for the very first time in your life, or whether you've been attending church your whole life, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, that this doesn't really fundamentally surprise you. There's a battle going on. We get it. It's the reason why life is not easy, or even at times, fair. It's why things that should be simple aren't always simple. It's why things that should make sense don't. Always makes sense. It's why sometimes in our lives we feel stuck, we feel beat down, we feel defeated, we feel stagnant. Now, the sermon that I'm going to preach to you today, I honestly think it's really going to help you. It's going to be very useful and it's going to stand on its own. But what I've been doing is we press pause a little bit on this journey that we're taking as a church through the New Testament Gospel of John. Because we arrived at John chapter 12, and it describes these events that have come to be known as Palm Sunday. And as you read through those excerpts of John chapter 12, you can't help but be struck with the reality of a spiritual battle that's raging in this world. And so what I felt like God wanted me to do is to press pause for five weeks. And so last week was the first time we talked about spiritual warfare in that context. So, today's going to be great. It's gonna stand on its own. But if you wanna really get into an in-depth discussion of the roots, the foundations of this spiritual battle, you can always go back and watch or listen to last week. But let me put it this way. The spiritual war that's going on, the the one that I would suggest that deep down inside, you and me feel. It has its roots centuries ago. There was an angel named Lucifer who didn't wanna worship God. In fact, Lucifer wanted to be worshipped as God, so he recruited one third of the angels in heaven, and he tried to overthrow God. And Lucifer and his rebel angels were defeated, they were cast down from heaven. And since then, there's been a battle raging. The devil versus God. Evil versus good, despair versus hope, darkness versus light, death versus life. And while it is true that Jesus defeated the devil, through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, time has not yet expired. The war still rages. And the enemy, the, the devil, can't hurt God, but he knows one way he can get at God, and that's to go after you. Because God loves you. Now, so what I talked about last week, and I'm gonna repeat it again this week, it doesn't do me, it doesn't do you a lot of good If I'm in a battle, if I'm in a war, it doesn't help much to pretend I'm not. So I want us to have a sense of awareness because I really truly believe, whether you're online or in person right now, you will win your war. With God's help, you will win your war. And so today I wanna get really specific and I wanna get real practical. I want you to know your enemy. How do you win your war? One of the ways you do it is you know your enemy. I want to talk about the devil a little bit today. Specifically, I want to tell you two things about the devil. Number one, the devil is a thief. You need to know that. The devil is a thief. Well, What does he steal, Mike? Jesus said in John chapter 10, The thief, the thief comes. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What does he steal? In order to explain that, I wanna go back a little bit in the Gospel of John to John chapter three. Jesus is having maybe one of the most famous conversations in all of human history with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. That was the conversation in which Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, hey Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But earlier in that same conversation, Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you want salvation, you must be born again. So so when I tell you that the devil is a thief, you need to understand that the way that we become saved is by being born again. In fact, when we place our faith in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his power, we are born again. We go, spiritually speaking, we go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And we become, as we are born again, we are born again into God's family. In other words, when Jesus died, he paid the price for your adoption. You become a child of God. So now the question is this. If I'm a child of God, if you are a child of God, what do we get out of it? What's our inheritance? Kind of an old school way to describe it. What's your birthright? What's your birthright? What's your inheritance? What's your birthright as a child of God? Well, Jesus puts it really succinctly. He says this As a child of God, you will receive real and eternal life. Real and eternal. That's your birthright. That's your inheritance as a child of God. Your adoption has been covered, has been paid for by Jesus. What, kind, what, what is your birthright? What is your inheritance? Real and eternal life, eternal life. So when your time expires on this planet, for you it will not be a termination, it will be a transition into eternity. The Bible literally says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of what God has prepared for you. Like the best that I can do is suggest that you look at the best of the best moments of your life. Like peak adventure. Peak hope, like the top of the top, the, the, the most love you've ever experienced, the most joy you've ever experienced, the most adventure you've ever experienced, the most excitement, the, the most joy, the, 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 the most anticipation, fulfillment, contentment that you've ever experienced. And now imagine this that that's just a shadow of an inkling of a glimpse of what is to come. Like a million years from now, I'll look at you and you'll look at me and you'll say the best is still yet to come and you'll be right. What's your inheritance as a child of God? Eternal life, life after death and real life, life before death. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean, real life? Life after death and... Life before death, what does real life look like? In John chapter 10, Jesus described it as the abundant life. Maybe in the context of spiritual warfare, we could say the victorious life. I think there's a real useful list though in the New Testament of the Bible in a book called Galatians that really describes for you, describes for me what real life looks like. Here's the list. Love, joy, peace, patience. Goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That list is called the fruits of the Spirit. Man, it's misunderstood a lot. Like, when I first heard that list, I thought that was kind of the description of how to be a, a, a good, well-behaved Christian person. You know, if you're going to be a Christian, you should for sure, you should, be, you should be those things. Just try your best to be, to be nice, to be kind, to be well-behaved. But it's so much more than that. Listen, imagine if your life, imagine if your life was marked by, defined by, imagine this kind of life. Hey, what's my life like? Hmm. Let me describe it this way. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, (laughs) self-control. That's real life. That's your birthright. Devil is a thief. He wants to steal your birthright. He wants to steal your birthright. So let me ask you something. Is your life marked by love? Is your life marked by love? Or would it be fair to say that, at least in an area of your life, you would say your life is more marked by anger, bitterness, and even hatred? Like when you drive down the road in your car, are you thinking to yourself of all the people you appreciate? all the people you love? You know, the list of people you just got, you just got to say thanks, you know, this week? Or instead, are you driving down the road thinking of all the people that anger you? All the people who frustrate you? All the people who did something to you? In fact, are you driving down the road sometimes having fake conversations? Like if they say that, I'm gonna come back with, it's a devastating comeback. I'm gonna launch an attack that they will never come back from wait a minute, is my life marked by love? What's going on? Oh, it's simple. What's going on? The devil is stealing your birthright. Is your life marked by joy? If I asked somebody in your family, if I asked somebody in your life, hey, describe that person in one word, would they say joy? Or, or would you say that the truth is that you kind of feel downtrodden? You feel like this heaviness, Defeat, despair, discouragement, following you around wherever you go. What's going on? Oh, that's just the devil stealing your birthright. Is your life defined by peace? Fully present, fully now, fully peaceful. Or would you say that at least in a part of your life, man, your life maybe would be defined as chaos, anxiety, drama, and conflict? What's going on? Oh, that's just the devil. He's stealing your birthright. Is your life marked by patience? Or would it possibly be more accurate to say that you lose your mind if your pizza pocket takes more than 45 seconds to heat up in the microwave? What's happening? That's just the devil stealing your birthright. Is your life marked by goodness? Or would you say that there's a part of you that feels like an innate attraction to darkness and not light? Or maybe, I could ask that another way, do you find that maybe it's bad things that are attracted to you and not good things? Maybe you met somebody like this, you know? A single man or a single woman, and it feels like the only people they ever date are the bad boy or the bad girl. You ever met that person? I don't mean like bad like they wear leather jacket to pretend they're cool, but I mean like truly bad. (laughs) What is going on? Oh, that's just the devil. He's stealing your birthright. Is your life marked by kindness? Or would you say that instead... You see a lot of harshness in your life. You see a lot of meanness in your life. You see a lot of greed in your life. You see a lot of selfishness in your life. What in the world is happening? That's just the devil. He's stealing your birthright. Is your life marked by gentleness? What an amazing word, gentleness. I used to hate that word. I thought, man, I wanna be a Christian, but I don't wanna be gentle. Like, who wants to be gentle, you know? Gentle is like an amazing word. It means this, it means strength. Strength under control. What a word. Does gentleness mark your life? Or would you say that maybe bullying, harshness, violence even, emotional, verbal, physical violence, would that be a more apt description of you? What is happening? Oh, that's just the devil. He's stealing your birthright. Does faithfulness mark your life? Or would you say you have an innate desire or an innate attraction to faithlessness instead of faithfulness? What's going on? That's just the devil stealing your birthright. How about self-control? Are you self-controlled? Or would you say that in so many ways I feel like my life is out of control? What's happening? He's a thief. He's not looking to steal the $2 that you saved up for bubblegum. He wants to take your birthright. So how do we get it back? How do we take it back? It's funny, I talked to you about the fruits of the spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, good, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And it's a really misunderstood list because this is what I used to think. I used to think that when you placed your faith in Jesus, when you became a follower of Jesus, that automatically that list would become true of you. I mean, maybe not right away, but eventually. You know what cured me of that belief? Hanging out in the church for a long time. Just met a lot of people that have been sitting in a church for years and years and years and years and years and decades, and I don't see that. Oh, wait, let's get a little more personal. That list does not perfectly define me. See, I don't think it does happen automatically. We have an enemy, we have a thief that's looking to steal your birthright. It's amazing because that list of attributes, that list of the fruits of the Spirit is found in Galatians chapter five. But it hit me just this week as I was praying for you, Galatians chapter six says this, listen. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A person will reap what they sow. You will harvest what you plant you will harvest what you plant you will harvest what you plant it's called the law of the harvest the law of the harvest says you will harvest what you plant in other words when we cooperate with God's work in our life it will become manifest in our life but when we don't he doesn't bang us on the head with a hammer and force us to be loving and joyful and so what are you planting how do you plant love in your life? Well, here's how you do it. You actively love the people in your life, starting, starting with those closest to you. Love is a verb. Love is a choice. Choose to love. Plant love, plant generosity. Be generous with the people in your life, starting with those closest to you. Plant love. How do you plant joy in your life? How do you plant joy? How do you cooperate with God's desire that you would be a joyful person? How do you plant joy in your life? Thoughts, time, and people. That's how. Thoughts. Grateful people are joyful people. Ever heard that? You know why you heard it? Because it's true. You know that. Grateful people are joyful people. I could spend my entire life looking for things to be grateful for and I would never run out. And yet, I could also spend my entire life and so could you looking for things to complain about and you would never run out. You have to choose. Back in January of this year, I preached a series on the seven R's. The seven R's that every morning I wake up and I go through my seven R's. We even made a seven R journal. If you want one, um, you can text the keyword READ. READ to 604-670-3040. But these seven R's, it starts with, read, you know, read the Bible, read a verse, read a paragraph, read a chapter, whatever. And then review, I review my day. I invite God into review of my day. The third R every single morning. I practice gratitude. You know why I practice gratitude? Because I'm not that great at it. I need practice. So number one, I need, I need to work on my thoughts. Want to plant joy in your life? You need to work on your thoughts. You need to work on your time, and your time. I talked to a young woman the other day. She says, man, every time I go on social media, every time I go on social media, I feel angry, miserable, and jealous. I said, okay, hold it. This is gonna sound crazy. I, I, I got this idea. Tell me if I'm like nuts here, okay? Maybe if it's making you miserable, angry, and jealous, you should delete social media. And she said, that's my entertainment. I kinda get it though. So, just start here. Let's compromise, okay? Compromise. Here's what you do. This week, pay attention to the people. Every time they post and you see it, it makes you angry, miserable, or jealous. And stop following them. Yeah, but if I do, they're gonna know. And then they're gonna text me and they're gonna say, why do you stop following me? And you're gonna say, because every time I look at one of your posts, it makes me angry, jealous, or miserable. And it'll be a great conversation. How do you plant joy? Thoughts, time, people, people. Let's be positive. If you find yourself walking away from a group of people or a person, and every time you walk away, you're just like, I'm so happy, I'm so joyful, hang out with them. That's how you plant joy. And if on the other hand, you walk away from people and you don't feel that way, how do you plant peace in your life? How do you plant peace? Same thing, people have a lot to do with it. I would say this. If you got some friends in your life that are all about chaos and drama and fear and conflict, maybe sit with them this week and say, hey, I got an idea. Let's, let's be peaceful. Let's talk about good things. And if you can't do that, if they won't do that, then maybe you need to find a different group to spend, spend some time with. How do you plant patience in your life? I heard somebody say once, hey, you know what? This is what you need to do. Pick the slow lane when you're driving down the road. (laughs) Right? You know, when you go to the grocery store, pick the long line up. Which is ridiculous for you. You could never do that. You know why? You're way too busy. You're way too... Okay, so here's an idea. Take a look at your schedule and make a schedule that would allow you to drive in the slow lane. If you did, you're planting peace. You're planting patience. How do you plant goodness? I think there's moments in our life when we'll be faced with a choice, light or darkness, light or darkness, light or darkness. With God's help, choose light. How do you plant kindness? I got a specific job for you, a specific opportunity for you this week. You're gonna love this, you're gonna love this. Look around this week. You're gonna see lots of people. Listen, this is important. You're gonna see lots of people this week who can't do anything for you. You get what I mean? So look for people who can't do anything for you and do something for them. When, uh, when there was just four of us, the Manis family was just four. Corinne and Mike and Lucas and Tori. I remember one year, we really wanted to go home for Christmas. But I had a volleyball camp like all the way up till December 23rd. So we left the night of December 24th. That's how we used to do it. We would drive 12 hours from Chilliwack to Red Deer, get there the next morning. That's how we did it. Okay, so we're driving through on Christmas Eve, but the roads were really, really bad. We're driving in our 1984 Volkswagen Rabbit Diesel, you know, just chugging down the road. And and we didn't get very far because it was breakfast time. And now we're in this little town called Golden BC. Golden BC. You ever been there? Golden, you know. And we were hungry. And there was only one restaurant open in all of Golden, B.C., and it didn't look real good, but, I mean, there's only one open, so we went. And when we walked into the restaurant, there was one girl working. One young woman working. What I mean is she was doing the cooking and the cleaning and the waiting. We were the only ones in the restaurant. And while we were eating, it was great, by the way, I said to her, how did you get stuck working on Christmas Day? Christmas Day, and she said, well it kind of went like this my boss said you have two choices work on Christmas day or find another job so here I am and so we got finished our meal and I I looked at Corinne I said I don't know why but I feel like we need to give her a $100 tip and for Corinne and Mike Manis back then $100 was right around $100 more than we had (laughs) but if you know Corinne Corinne was just like yeah of course and so we did And I'd like to tell you, I stuck around to see your response, but we actually didn't. We left the tip and we just drove away. Do something like that this week. And and then let me know how it went. I bet you'll love it. How do you plant gentleness in your life? How do you plant gentleness in your life this week? Strength under control. Strength under control. Defend somebody who needs defending this week. A people group around the world. Or something as simple as this. You're in a group. And the group is talking about somebody who's not there. And you just speak up and say, hey, you know what? If you have a problem with him, I got a great idea. Why don't you go talk to him? How do you plant faithfulness in your life? Well, I really believe that with God's help, When you face those moments this week where you can choose between faithful and faithless, just say, God, would you help me? I'm gonna choose faithful. Which brings me to the last one, self-control. How do you choose self-control? How do you plant self-control? How do you cooperate with God's work in your life so that you would see self-control more and more growing in your day-to-day life? I'm gonna give you a a principle that I think is gonna change some of you for the good. I wanna talk to you about the principle of pre-decision. Pre-decision. Pre-decision is this. I allow my best intentions to be stronger than my weakest moments. I allow my best intentions to be stronger than my weakest moments. If you talk to somebody and they say, man, I really struggle with porn. I surf porn, I don't want to surf porn, but I feel like I'm addicted to it. I'm just surfing porn all the time and I don't want to surf porn. You say, okay, well, wh- when's your weakest moment? When's the you know, real tough time for you surfing porn? You know what you don't often hear? Well, I go to the 11 a.m. service at Southside Church. It's usually about 11.15 on a Sunday morning. I'm just sitting there, the band is playing, and I just, I don't know, it's just, that's my time to surf porn. Yeah, okay, so that doesn't happen. There's probably a few reasons for that, but here's one. Well, because you're in that moment of best intentions. You're talking about God and and, and his plan to love you and that his love would be manifest through you to a world in great need. Here's what I mean. I think for every one of us, there's moments of clarity. There's a moment of great best intentions. Predecision means this. Put things in place that will allow that best intention to be stronger than your weakest moment. And what I was gonna do today is I was gonna give you a whole bunch of examples. But instead of doing that, you know, like I was thinking about this. Man, I really struggle to get up early in the morning and go to the gym. Or I really struggle to get up early in the morning and, and, uh, and read my Bible. So Mike, if you could do this for me, it'd be great. My alarm is set for six o'clock. If you could walk into my room at 6.02 with a bucket, bucket of ice water, if I'm not up, throw it. You have no idea how much I would love that. Like, honestly. I live to serve. I would be so happy to do that for you. <laughs> I'm not going to go through a long list of examples. Here's why. You figure it out. Honestly, you figure it out. What are the things that you have to pre-decide, the, the steps that you have to take that would allow your best intentions to be stronger than your weakest moments? The devil is a thief. The devil is a thief. He wants to steal your birthright. How do you get it back? You just follow the law of the harvest. That's it. Second thing about the devil, he's a predator. Bible calls him a wolf or a roaring lion. He's a predator. Took our family to Red Deer years ago. See our parents. While we were down there, we took the kids to a game farm 20 minutes south of Red Deer, this little town called Innisfail. There's a game farm. It was incredible. Like, so many animals, more than any game farm I've ever seen. The one thing that I felt a little bit iffy about is it didn't seem like an overly safe game farm. Like, it looks like they, you know, they weren't exactly going letter of the law for the game farm handbook. You know what I mean? Like, like one of the things you could do, for example, you could go into a cage and get your picture taken with a grizzly bear. I'm not making that up. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, call me crazy, but that doesn't seem safe. So anyways, we're, we're there, and there's this area with a few leopards and a black panther. And our kids just loved it. Just loved it. We were there for a long time. And I started to notice that the black panther in particular was locked in on our son Gabe, like locked in. Gabe was five years old then, okay? So this black, like if Gabe would walk way to the end of the area, the Black Panther would just walk way to the end of the area, lie down, and he was just staring at Gabe. All you could see was the tail twitching a little bit. If people walked between Gabe and the Black Panther, he never lost focus on Gabe. These like unblinking yellow eyes, you know. I said to Corinne, "I think that Black Panther is kind of locked in on Gabe." She's like, "I know." And then Tori, Gabe's older sister, she was about 12 or 13 at that point, she's like, aw, Gabe, I think that Black Panther really likes you. And I'm like, yeah, kind of like I would really like chicken strips and fries for lunch today, kind of like that, right? <laughs> I'm thinking it's probably time to move on, and the last straw for me was this panther is lying there just staring at Gabe, but then I notice he keeps on looking up at the top of the fence, and then back at Gabe, top of, and it's almost like he's like, how long of a run would I have to take to clear that sucker, you know? <laughs> Kids, were going to see the buffalo, you know? Buffalo don't jump over fences. As far as I know, maybe they do. What's my point, I'm not entirely sure. Um, <laughs> so the Black Panther clears the fence. This is probably what wouldn't work. Hey, come on man, you don't really wanna do this, do you? Have some mercy. Predators don't have mercy. Jesus says the devil comes only, 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 only to steal and kill and destroy. He has never had, he never will have a merciful moment. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He will always go out after the helpless and the vulnerable. Story in the Old Testament of the Bible when the Israelites are in bondage in Egypt. They're enslaved, and they're crying out for God to deliver them. And so God raises this man named Moses up, who will grow up and one day lead the people out of bondage and into freedom. And so the devil whispers in Pharaoh's ear, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh has every single male baby boy born to the Hebrews killed. Centuries later, there's this guy named King Herod. And someone says to King Herod, Hey, there is a baby born in Bethlehem who's the king of kings. And the devil whispers into King Herod's ear. And King Herod has every boy in the Bethlehem vicinity, two years old and younger, killed. The devil's never had a merciful moment. He never will. He's a predator. He always goes after the helpless. You've heard the phrase before bad things happen in bunches. Yeah. Because the devil is a predator and he wants to kick you when you're down. You've maybe seen a family that goes through a great tragedy. And how often have you seen that family that goes through the great tragedy, that marriage that's the center of that family, often dissolves. These overwhelming feelings of anger or sorrow or blame shatter the marriage. Why? Because the devil is a predator. He's never had a merciful moment. He will always go after the helpless. He will always go after the vulnerable. In recovery circles, they say four things make you really vulnerable: hunger, anger, loneliness, or being tired. Halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Halt. So what do we do in light of that? He always wants to go after you when you're vulnerable. Well, don't be hungry, angry, lonely, or tired to the best of your ability. I was trying to ask myself what what does it mean to be spiritually hungry? Because the truth is that the devil wants you spiritually malnourished. And he's not often going to tempt you to do something crazy or outlandish. It could be as simple as this. You want to wake up early and read your Bible, and your alarm goes off, and you press snooze. Again, and again, and again, and again. That's it. Or Maybe you've noticed this before. That getting your family to church on a Sunday morning, anything, anything that can go wrong some Sundays will go wrong. Why? Because the devil wants you spiritually malnourished. He wants you vulnerable. Hungry. Angry. He wants you angry. Isn't that an interesting thought? Because don't we feel kind of strong when we're angry? And the truth is, you're never spiritually weaker than when you're angry like that. Anger makes you vulnerable. So there's two things that you need to start doing that we all need to start doing. We need to learn to let it go and to sort it out. Let it go and sort it out. Driving down the road and you think of that person, let it go. Let it go. Not for their sake, for your sake. Let it go. Yeah, but like five minutes later, they come back into my mind. That's right. Let it go again. Let it go. The devil is a predator. He wants you angry. He wants to steal your birthright. And if he can keep you angry, he can keep you weak. Let it go. And sort it out. If there's somebody in your life, there's something going on right now, like there's, there's a distance between you, sort it out today. If it's within your power, sort it out today. Say, hey man, are, are we good? Is there something going on between you and me? What's, what's going on? Have I, have I done something to offend you because I'm really sorry if I have? Sort it Oh, the Bible calls it short accounts. Short accounts. Keep short accounts. Lonely. Lonely. When you're all alone, you are vulnerable when you're alone. If you ever go on a safari to Africa, they'll tell you, stay together and stay in the Jeep. <laughs> you wanna know why? Because if you jump off the Jeep by yourself, it's curtains, baby, like it's over. Hope you enjoyed the safari, the ride is over. Why? 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 Why can't I? Because there's predators out there. The devil wants you alone. You are weak when you're by yourself. There's a, another story in the Old Testament about a guy named King David, one of the most famous kings in all of history. Some say the greatest king Israel ever had. One spring, David sends all his armies, all his commanders, all his generals out to war. And he's all by himself, all his buddies are gone. And he just so happens to go for a walk on the roof of the palace, and he spots this woman named Bathsheba, who's having a bath, and he's so filled with lust. That his lust just about destroys him and destroys the nation. You are vulnerable when you're alone. One of the things that we talk about at Southside is that we want to be a, a, a small church with lots of people. And I know that might sound kind of catchphrasy, actually, a small church with lots of people, but it's really sincere. Like, we, we want to be, we want to have lots of people because we want to make maximum impact. We have the ability to do things to make a difference that's just really, really amazing. But we never want to lose that connection. And the only way that you can do that, the only way that you can truly maintain connection while at the same time growing, and isn't that the goal of every church, by the way? The only way that you can maintain connection while at the same time growing is through small groups. That's the only way. And so I wanna ask you sincerely, if you are not yet in a small group full of people, they're not perfect, but they love Jesus and they'll grow to love you, they'll pray for you, they'll support you. If you're not yet in a small group, I would just ask you to really, really consider it. You say, well, I got a lot of friends, Mike. I'm super popular. That's so cool. That's, I love it. Okay, but, but, but maybe you could be willing to make that sacrifice then so that other people could be supported by you you can text the keyword GROUP to 604-670-3040. So then I get to the end of that list. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. The devil is a thief. He wants to take your birthright. He's a predator, he's never had a merciful moment. But what does it mean to be tired? What does it mean to be spiritually tired? It hit me. Matthew 11. Jesus says, This, are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Are you tired? I felt kind of convicted when I got to the end of writing this sermon. And the reason I felt a little bit convicted is because it seemed a lot like so what religion means. So when that passage says, are you burnt out on religion? Religion is when we start to think that it's all about us that my salvation is dependent on me, and and of course it's not, it's dependent on Jesus, but can you see how quickly it can happen? Because I stand up here and I tell you, hey, you need to cooperate with God's work in your life. You gotta plant love. You gotta plant joy and peace and patience, and next thing you know, all of a sudden, we're back into that religiosity where I'm thinking, man, maybe I'm not feeling those things because I'm not doing a good enough job, and I just wanna stop before we go any further and say, Jesus doesn't want you tired like that. Can, can I go back to King David for a second? I mean, the guy blew it. And yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Stop. The Bible says God looks at the heart. So you say, well, I don't know. I want to I plant love. You know, I want to actively love the people in my life, starting with those closest to me, but it's so hard, I get it. So how about this, how about this? How about in light of the fact that you know, that I know, that God looks at the heart? What if you incline your heart towards love? See, God, I don't always want to, but I want to want to. What if you inclined your heart towards love and joy and peace and patience? What if if you invited him in and said, Jesus, I'm gonna incline my heart towards this. Please help me. I think that's what it's about. The Law of the Harvest. The Law of the Harvest. I'll leave you with this. Most likely. I was about 12 or 13 years old when my parents became followers of Jesus. And it was a pretty, obviously life-changing experience for them, but it radically transformed life for my little sister and me. And I remember my dad sat me down not long after that, and he told me, hey Mike, I wanted you to know the first prayer I ever prayed after I began following Jesus. He said, I I prayed to God, I prayed to the Lord of the harvest. He said, God, I think I've planted some bad seeds in my life. I think I've planted some bad seeds in my family. Kind of like, I don't know, every parent who has ever existed, incidentally. Okay, so back to the story. Um, I think I've planted some bad seeds in my family. And he prayed, but you're the Lord of the harvest. So he said, Jesus, would you please grant this? Would you please grant a miraculous crop failure? For the bad seeds that I planted, would you please grant a miraculous crop failure? And then for the good seeds I planted, for the good seeds I'm planting, for the good seeds that I will plant, you're the Lord of the harvest. Would you please grant, please, would you please grant a bumper crop? That's it. The law of the harvest. Let's go. Let's cooperate. And let's always remember that we know the Lord of the harvest. Let's pray. So with all eyes closed and heads bowed, I just wanna take a moment of reflection. I just wanna ask you, how are you? Whether you're watching online or you're here in person, how are things? Are you experiencing that real life that the Bible promises? Or would it be more fair to say that there's areas of your life at least where you feel stuck, where you feel stagnant, where you feel defeated? See, I wanna tell you the first step into the life that you were created to live, the first step into real and eternal life is real simple, real simple. Jesus said it in John chapter three, you must, you must, you can be born again. And Jesus Christ loves you so much that he died for you. He paid the price for your adoption. He rose again for you. So you can experience life, real and eternal life, real and eternal life, and the first step is to take hold of what Jesus has already done. So if you're here today in person or if you're watching online and today is the day that you wanna accept that gift of forgiveness and salvation that only comes through Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand right now, nice and high, so I can pray for you. If you're watching online and it's safe to do so, I'd love if you could raise your hand also. It's amazing, amazing. If your hand is up, you can put it down right now. Just wanna invite you to pray silently along with me as I pray out loud. So Jesus, I thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest. I ask for real and eternal life. I accept you today as my savior. Pray that you would forgive my sins and heal my hurts. And I acknowledge you today as my Lord. You didn't just die for me, you rose again for me. So I pray for the power, the strength to choose light, to choose hope, to choose love. I incline my heart towards you. Change me, God. I pray this in your name, amen, amen. Let's celebrate. Hey, just two more things. One, I said this before, I just wanna repeat it one more time. See, I think we all know innately. I think we all know fundamentally this world, it's not a playground. It's a battleground. And I don't think, I don't think it helps if you're in a battle to pretend you're not. So what I wanna ask you is, I I, I feel this kind of, this intensity around this topic right now because when God first gave me the idea that we needed to kind of park on spiritual warfare for for a bit, I'm like, God, is that gonna get weird? And and he told me just that. If you're in a battle, you should probably know it. So I wanna really establish at this church a culture of invitation. I ask you again, please consider people in your life. They know innately they're in a battle. Let's help them win it. So invite your friends, invite your family, invite your neighbors. We'll see you back here next week and Every week of this series, we got a prayer team. They're gonna hang out on the wings, at the front, after every service. There's all kinds of things that you can be praying for today. For victory, for, for encouragement. But I wanna give you one specific prayer that I thought of. That prayer that my dad prayed. That prayer to the Lord of the harvest. Praying that some of those seeds that were planted that weren't so good, that he would grant a... Crop failure. And for some good seeds that are planted, that will be planted, an abundant, overflowing crop. I think about that prayer that my dad prayed for me sometimes. Because I was just thinking this week, man, how lucky am I? How lucky am I? I get to be a little part of this thing, this mission, this movement called Southside. How crazy is that? And I was spending some time thinking, I'm like, God, why would you choose me to play my little part in this movement called Southside? It's so cool, it's so fun, it's so awesome. And he brought my mind back to that specific prayer. For me, standing on this stage talking to you? It's real simple, it's an answer to that specific prayer. So don't leave here without getting prayer today if you need it, I love you, we'll see you next week.